Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Dane Zorko here from the Brisbane Lions. Jason Johannesson from the Western Bulldogs. Luke Parker here from the Sydney Swans. It's Roy Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Maxwell and Melbourne Football Club. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey friends, you got MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well, and welcome back to another episode of the 50 Most Relevant. Talking about who I think are the most relevant players across Supercoach, Dream Team, and AFL Fantasy for your 2023 fantasy season. The number 20 about to venture into the tweens and the teens before finally cracking the top 10. Callum Mills is on the conversation topic for the day. He's my number 20 and an interesting bloke to talk about. We had him on yesterday. We had to bring him back for another episode. We've got Jordox again. Hello, buddy. How are you? Very well, MJ. Yes, looking forward to talking about Mills. Quite a quite a different proposition than McLean that we discussed yesterday. Hundred percent. Looking forward to it. One's a cow that we're looking as a money maker. The other, well, we're hoping he's a premium performer for us in 2023. Just the 25 years of age, midfield eligible, and there were some monster scores across the season, across all formats. He got a career-high score to go with his 2022 higher scores. Both of them happened against the Hawks in the same game. It was a 162 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, while he has hit rarefied air. He's a part of the 200 club in Supercoach, and a score of 214. Not many players have that level of ceiling. In AFL Fantasy... And in Dream Team, an average of 111, while just shy of the 113 marker by a manage of point something. So he's right up there in our top end of scoring. In Supercoach, he's going to set you back at a price point of $642,400, just a touch over $980,000. And he's one of a handful of players in Dream Team that has hit the million-dollar price tag. And now for years... It's finally happened, Jordox. If you've been playing fantasy footy for a long time, we were waiting for the midfield move for Mills. The midfield move. It hit in 2021. It reestablished itself in 2022. And there were big portions of the year last year that if you didn't own Callum Mills, you were kicking yourself because he's got the scoring capacity that's as good as anyone in the game. Yes, he does. And and there was even a hint of it coming in, in 2020 as well, uh, before the that huge breakout right. in 21. He's one of the more interesting players, uh, MJ, I find in fantasies in that very top, top echelon. You know, mm. like you said, million-dollar million man, depending on the format you play. And there are more uh, guys in the million-dollar bracket. <laughs> Blame inflation for that. But... In the top, top echelon, he's so interesting. And, and mm. for a number of reasons that we all waited for this, and we all hoped. Uh, in fact, a lot of us were waiting for Heaney, and we got sick of waiting, <laughs> so it was Mills. Um, and he's delivered a couple of absolute um, bombastic seasons of fantasy scoring, and doing it in quite a unique way in terms of his score build, in that, uh, you know, you, you might go into more detail on his 2022 season. You yeah. mentioned some of those big scores. But across the season, he actually only accumulated 30 or more disposals twice. Yeah. And yet we are talking about, uh, well, he, where did he land? Top three, top four in AF and DT yeah. for the season. 
that's phenomenal to do that with such little um, 30 disposal games. Well, he, he dropped his possession tally from 2021 to 22 to 25 possessions on average across the season, around about six, seven marks. So that's where he is on top of other midfielders, his ability to work rate, find into space to create that option for their defensive unit. Um, he did pick up in his tackles account up to about six per game, just a fraction over that. But you mentioned this interesting score build dynamic. He scored 14 tons last year in AFL fantasy and dream team, seven of them over 120. So there's that ceiling. And then some monsters in there as well. A 156 uh, against Essendon in round nine. It should have come to us no surprise. They tag him and he gets basically a third of that score six weeks later in round 16. And then he had that career high score in round six against the Hawks, that 162. Uh, just the three scores below 80 and in the format of Dream Team and Fantasy, he ranks second in the format for total points. He was just 30 points shallow of being the number one point scorer last year and ranked fourth for averages, while over in Supercoach, 15 tons across the year, nine of them over one in 120. So that's highlighting that really nice ceiling for us. And then I could tell you all these 130s and 140s, but he's got two over 150 as well. So there's like 139, 130, 147, 138, twice he delivered, but that 167 against Essendon, and then that game changer against the Hawks, two. 114. This is what Jordox was alluding to before that he's for a guy that really doesn't win that much of the ball, he still finds a way to score. But when he puts it all together, this is where the monster comes. Because in that game against the Hawks, 37 possessions, 11 marks, five tackles, and a goal. Now he picked up a handful of freeze four in this. But this is the capacity of what he can be, is when it all clicks together. He goes a level that almost no other premium midfielder can attain. That's how good his scoring is in Supercoach. Fourth for total points and fifth for averages. And I think what's really important about it, Jordox, is he did this off no preseason because he had that Achilles injury. That's right. And that's the scary part is that uh, two of the three, probably two of his... Um, Worst scores for the season did come in the opening three rounds of the season. And that's what made jumping on him such a brilliant move by coaches that did mm. because he had dropped his price. Obviously, he dropped a bit. And those who pounced on the Hawthorne game were absolutely laughing. Um, so, yeah, if he can head into this season with a full preseason, uh, the way he sort of slowly burnt into the season, we could see a more sudden and abrupt scoring um, output from him. Yeah, we could. Look, this really does reinforce the breakout season we saw in 2021, where he was defender eligible. 18 matches that year, 13 AFL fantasy and dream team tons, including three scores, 130 plus. We're seeing a 152 and a 142, and just the two sub 90 scores all year in Supercoach. That same thing, another 110 plus average across the formats. He was the 14th best midfielder in the game in 21. Seven scores, 120 plus. 14 scores of 100 plus. Um, and an 11 week of consecutive tons between rounds 6 to 17. So we've got now two seasons of unquestionable data that he is a 110 midfielder. And yet there's these big 
question marks that exist around Callum Mills. And the way I know that isn't just listening to the narrative coming out of the footy community and other fantasy content creators like us, but you look at the ownership percentage where he is under 10% across the formats. No one else really around the range where he is has that level of low ownership across formats. And so there's some hesitancy there, isn't there, Jordox, to spend so much money on a guy that people do have one or two valid concerns about. They do, and we'll discuss them um, in length here, but that's almost the appeal, isn't it? Uh, the fact that not many people do have him and are a little bit scared by, you know, what we'll talk about um, shortly around his his role and how flexible he is within that Sydney squad and that he can be moved around the ground. Um, but the low percentage, yeah, it's both exciting in the thought mm. of how unique it could be, but then also, hmm, what, what am I missing or what, what have I got to be, you know, why are the others more trustworthy, like an Oliver or a Steel? Like, why are people doing that? So that, that that's what I'd be thinking. Yeah, um, no. But I think true. we'll talk, we'll talk about some of the, the things, I think, now. Well, I think that's the point, isn't it, is when you're spending this amount a month, as uh, much of a salary cap on a person, there's two things. One, you're putting significant outlay, so you want to do it in a place where you've got zero concerns. Um, you don't want to be looking at a guy at this price point where, as you said, in Dream Team, he's a million-dollar man. In AFL Fantasy, he, he's not far off it. And in Supercoach, he's in the top handful of priced players. If you're spending that much bang, oh, you want to see a really good return. And one, you want to make sure you've got no positional volatility in your mind but also, too, that it's a VCC option most weeks. What we did see last year is John Longmire moving him around a little bit, not just from center bounce to wing, but we did see in a couple of games, not a heap, a couple of games where he would be thrown down back to try to either stop the momentum of an opposition side late in quarters or to ice a game and take it beyond doubt and become a spare. Now, the, the first time we probably saw that was round 18 against the Dockers. That game, he still scored a 132 against them in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team and 116 in Supercoach. So it's hardly a poor score. Um, that tag game against Essendon, where he had an absolute shocker, should have come as no surprise after he completely annihilated them six weeks before. So sometimes recent history, as much as the fantasy community said, go, oh, he destroyed him last time, he'll do it again. Opposition team's analysis sees that too and go, we're going to make sure that doesn't happen again. But here's the interesting thing. Sydney, for the first portion of the year, ran a really tight midfield. Warner, Parker, Rowbottom and Mills. The first 13 weeks of the year, he's averaging a 113 in Dream Team and Fantasy and a 122 in Supercoach. However, Ryan, round 15 goes on and we start to see his CBO rotation really of that big four, take the biggest split. Where he was previously in the 60s and 70s regularly, he starts to hit into the 50s and the 40s regularly. Rowbottom's the other that starts to see a little bit of volatility, but he also had that at the start of the year. So I think we could mainly pin it to Mills. In those final nine weeks of the year, two things happen. One, Papley starts to pick up some CBAs, and in that nine-week stretch, he goes down to an average of 107. So not disastrous, is it, Jordox, but certainly not what you're paying for him to be. 
No, that's right. It's kind of similar to the conversation we had earlier in the top 50 about Angus Brayshaw and the concerns about him not getting the CBAs and going back to a halfback role. And I kind of feel the same way in that Mills can score uh, in that role yes. as well. Um, you know, we want, obviously, uh, his price and, and what he did last year, we want him at the coal face, mm. laying tackle after tackle after tackle. But he's such a smart reader of the play. And, yes. and if they're putting him deep to play as, you know, a goalkeeper or, or more that loose man in the back line to, to ice a game or stem momentum, like you said, there's a lot of mark, a lot of plus six actions Potentially. to be had in that position. Um, so I'm not spooked as much about the position, the position change as others. It's more when you put him up against a Jack Steele. Yes. He's not moving anywhere on the field other than the gut. Same with Clayton Oliver. Same with Took Miller. You know, all those guys who are in this conversation. And aren't we blessed to have so many? Yeah. And Andy Andy Brayshaw too. Yeah. Look- but with Mills, he'll score he'll score wherever he goes. My concern about um putting that amount of money on someone is you know, he's got this ceiling that is unlike pretty much anyone else. Yeah. But then his basement, um, as we've seen he just so looking at Dream Team Fantasy as an example, mm. um, he's gone sub ninety. I think it was one, two, three. Yeah, it's about half a dozen times. Five, six times. Yeah, six times he's gone under ninety. Now that's not terrible, but no. when you're paying what we're paying, so he's got these scores under ninety, and then he's almost got the same amount of scores above one thirty. So he's really the up and down guy. Perfect vice. Um, candidate, mm. I'd be a little bit nervous making him captain just because I know he can have one of those weeks and just score an 85. Yeah, no, it, it, it's true. And part of that is confirmed when we look at that Essendon game where he gives you a 54 in Dream Team and Fantasy and 85 in Supercoach. So I, I think if you look at Mills, there's there's a couple of core elements around him. His CBAs in 22 were significantly different to what he did in 2021. Up there is high 60s. This year he's mid 50s. That's just gone. What do you believe the rest of that midfield rotation will be? I'm not concerned about the movement down back. I, I largely feel one like what Jordox you just said was right in the... Well, he could pick up a bunch of plus sixes here. But, but also I went back and watched those games... It really didn't make a, a lick of difference in the game. Uh, if anything, it took Sydney's one of their best players away from an opportunity to impact the contest. And rarely when he did go back to float into defence, did it actually help. There were one or two instances, but rarely it didn't help uh, along the way. I think you should be more worried about him moving to the wing rather than you should be seeing him move down back. And so that is for me is more of the concern is what's his split around CBA versus wing midfielder? Um, Because where he does pick up his points, although he does have a nice contested possession game is it's where he's just got that incredible work rate to get into space uh, and to get uncontested possessions. That's really where he builds his fantasy score is uncontested marks, uncontested possessions. That's where he takes his game to the next level. So for me, I think that's more of the concern. And even if you look at the grand final, when they were absolutely decimated, when there were times they were probably needing to wrestle the game back on their terms, he didn't even attend a quarter of CBAs in that game. 
Whereas the games prior, he's up around the 60, low 60s percent in the other finals. So for me, that's an interesting dynamic. Is that matchup dependent? What's there? But it is certainly an aberration based on what he did. Outside of that, I think he had one game, maybe two under 45% CBAs all year. So read into that what you will um, from there. But I'm, well, the good, I think it's there. The good news on that, that grand final, it's obviously not good news for any Sydney fans listening, but it didn't work. They got no, absolutely They got destroyed. And it was Parker, yeah. Warner, Hickey, and Papley yeah. was their third highest midfielder attending CBA. So mm. you're right. I, I, I wouldn't read not too they, much into that. Not why they lost the game, of course. No, it is uh, certainly I not. No one was beaten Geelong. But, but just that, that struck me as odd, and it was a bit of a concern to think, okay, the biggest game of the year, and they don't put Mills in the guts. What yeah. does that mean for 2023? But then, it didn't well, work. They got they got smashed. So, yeah, I yeah. think the They're key summary. They're probably not going to go back to that. No, I think the key summary with Mills is this: if you're if you're paying this much for him, he's a vice captaincy captaincy option in the first six weeks. If the starting squad, you've got your least available options for who to put those VC and C on. On if you don't think Mills is someone you feel confident to do that with, he's not for you. If you're looking at that positional movement, especially the centre bounce and the wing, and you are genuinely concerned, then he's not for you. Um, But if you're looking at that ownership, now I don't always read too much into ownership, but if you do want to create some separation, and he is a guy that you're like, I'm 50-50 on two midfield premiums, I'm not worried about the role, volatility, I'm not worried about that. Ooh, sometimes that can be a differentiator regardless of the fact with whether or not he's in your starting squad or not, Mills has the capacity to be the best scorer in the game, period. So even if he's not in your starting squad mix of two, three, four big end premium mids, you must monitor him because like we saw last year, when you get him at the right price point, he's got the ability to go on a run and absolutely take a season away from you. Last year, he had a nine-week stretch in a in super coach where he went at 128.6 and that included a week where he scored a 60 he went on a nine week stretch that same stretch in dream team and fantasy where he went 120 and that included a score of 76 so so this guy's as good as you can get when things go his way so he must be a consideration if he's not in your starting squad let's talk draft and what he does and where he goes he'll probably get taken as an m1 regardless of some of that maybe volatility and concerns people have where do you see him going on draft day jordox i think he is going to slide probably late first round Mm -hmm. maybe even second but i think someone's going to get him late in the first round and be very happy yeah i think we're we're talking about you know for the first round you're comparing to guys like brayshaw deal Oliver and, and as we mentioned earlier there's less question marks I mean the question marks around Mills let's be honest MJ it was splitting hairs yeah he's gone back I to mean, back 110 yeah. years and even in that poor <laughs> yeah. CBA run he still goes 107 exactly in years gone by he'd just be you know pick one or two but we've got a lot to choose from this year and I think he'll slide to the back end of the first round but he's an M1 anyway yeah. thinks you can get him after the first Maybe second round, like you're dreaming. I think you're right. I, I think you're 
probably pretty close to it on being an M1 early second. And that's not because he drifts. It's more people go, I want Doherty. I want English. I want Taranto. I, I want these bigger end uh, positional guys. And I'll take the security of a mid who shouldn't have any movement. So you mentioned those names, the Laird, the Steels, the Millers, uh, even a Bontempelli or, or a McRae, some might take ahead of him, a Brayshaw. He's an early second round pick, but you won't be disappointed because, again, remember the point. He had a 120-plus scoring run for nine weeks last year. And his worst stretch when he started to get minimal CBAs was a 107. So for a guy you're paying just a touch over 110 across the formats in salary caps and in drafts, his downside is a 105. His upside is 120 and the best mid in the game. So you really can't lose out on if a guy he, with him else. If he goes to second round and you get him, you've done very well. Yeah, and I think that's where he goes very too. Well. Um, mm. Not because of anything he's doing wrong, more that people want to build around something else and not get a miss the in, in those yep. other elements, which is good. Hey, Jordox, love your work today as we've talked about Callum Mills. Pleasure, mate. Good fun. If you want to go read the article, there's all the details online now at coachespanel.tv. Over 30 articles have been released throughout the month of January. You can go and check that out as well as listen back to all the other podcasts that we have revealed so far. If you want to join our Patreon supporter group for just a couple of bucks a month, you can pick up exclusive content, hidden groups, and even get these podcasts and some other podcasts, including our Keeper Tier Rankings, you can get those as well if you join our breakout or premium tier level supporters. All the details to become a Patreon, you can find at coachespanel.tv. So today we talked about a premium that was so good last year that people are a little bit scared of this year. Tomorrow, similar vein. One of the best premiums in his line last year. He was a season-defining pick. But people are really scared off this guy. And is it valid that the narrative they tell themselves? Or are they sleeping on a guy that's already shown he can be the top of his line? Who am I talking about at number 19? You'll find out tomorrow in the 50 Most Relevant.